Oh, hi, it's Crystal here from RuPaul's Drag Race UK, and the underwear aisle at Sears made me queer. Welcome to The Things That Made Me Queer, the podcast that delves into the queer experience using the items and moments that shaped us. Each week, my special guest will bring five items to the table that help shape the person they are today, and we will use them to plunge deep into their queer story. A little note on this podcast before we continue. I use the word queer a lot here. For me, it's a fabulous umbrella term which encompasses the gorgeous entirety of the LGBTQIA plus community. And this community that I'm trying to show the richness of with this podcast. For me, the word queer is a brilliant way of saying not straight. But this word may not feel right for you, and that is totally okay. You can feel free to substitute mentally any word that makes you feel gorgeous. And also just some food for thought. Gay was originally used as a slur before it was reclaimed and became the norm, and people have been reclaiming queer since as early as the 1910s. The more you know. Anyway, on with the show! Okay, so my guest today is a best-selling author. Their first book, a young adult supernatural thriller called Hollow Pike, came out in 2012, and they've since released nearly 20 more books covering non-fiction, LGBT issues, a memoir, and even an official novel as part of the Doctor Who franchise. This year, they also made their acting debut on Michaela Cole's incredible series, I May Destroy You. I've just finished their memoir, The Gender Games, and would highly recommend. It is my extreme pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Juno Dawson. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, I always just start by asking people um, if you wouldn't mind just telling me how you identify and what your pronouns are. Sure. Um, <laughs> as has been widely documented, I'm a trans woman and I use she, her pronouns. Gorgeous. Thank you. So um, I'm not talking to anyone about the crap of 2020, but I'd love to hear some of your 2020 highlights. Um, I've, I've had to look. I've had to really kind of get out my little archaeology dusting <laughs> kit to yeah. dust away at the bones yeah. of this year for some something positive. Like I had to postpone my wedding. and But um, two good things. I a, got to go on my honeymoon. Like so... We okay. decided to not cancel the honeymoon, despite the fact we weren't able to get married. So we had a beautiful priority. Well, exactly. And there was we <laughs> we strongly suspected there was a window where we would be allowed to board a flight and leave the country. And we kind of seized mm. the opportunity over the summer. And also, after a very rocky start, um, I have written a book this year, which is going to be my first novel for adults. Um, ah. And it might Congratulations. thank you. It might be my favorite thing I've ever written as well. So well, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited. How did you find writing over this year? Like was it like, oh, I've got time and space, or actually no. It was the not opposite. the one. I mean, it's it was tricky because I put enormous pressure on myself at the beginning of lockdown one to be like, well, you know, this shouldn't affect you. You know, you are freelance, you're self-employed, you know, you should be able to work as normal. And now it's maybe about three weeks in before I realized the world is not normal. You know, yes, <laughs> yes, you're still writing, but you know, you've never in your life had to deal with this kind of lockdown, this kind of pandemic. So it was, I, I sort of went, and strangely, as soon as I let myself off the hook and said, look, you don't need to do this right now. I suddenly thought, well, why don't you just write what it is you want to write? And that's how mm. this novel came about. So it kind of, I had- So it actually was born out of- lockdown this will be my lockdown baby yeah that's incredible mm. congratulations thank you i hope people like it it's yeah it's a, i'm sure they will it's a bit different i don't know if it's what anybody was screaming out for but let's let's find out anything else you can tell us about it or is it um i'd better not right now but but i will <laughs> say it, it's my first novel for adults but we haven't announced anything yet so so i'd best not because i don't want to get myself into trouble Sure. Well, I can't wait. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting what you said because I I also am obviously a freelance person and um I found the first lockdown like oh actually I think I've been kind of in lockdown for the past year in a certain way like there has been lots of like I'm quite an antisocial stay at home kind of person so I was like oh this is actually kind of fine but lockdown too I'm like no no I've had enough I've had it not the one <laughs> no and there's the creativity yeah it's like it's hard to find sometimes in these situations. So well done to you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I honestly thought nothing creative was going to happen this year. And then once I found my second wind, off I went. And where did you go on honeymoon? We went to the beautiful island of Santorini, um, just off of Greece. Oh, so um, gorgeous. I lived my Mamma Mia Meryl Street fantasy. I was like mm-hmm. Amanda Seyfried running through the mm-hmm. cliffs, just looking for... Non-stop moo-moos. So many moo-moos, just... <laughs> Who is my father? Is it Pierce Brosnan? You know, it was, it was really Fingers fun. crossed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. Well, um, I think we should get into the things that made you queer. Let's... So every episode, my guest brings um, a person, place, piece of music, film, and a wild card that were formative in their queer development. And you've sent me your list. Mm-hmm. We've put them into chronological order. And I think we should get into it. Juno Dawson, here are the things that made you queer. Film or TV series? So, first up, we have your um, film or TV show. And you had a few listed, but I think we're going to focus in on on the one that, <laughs> that I have the most to talk about <laughs> Excellent. as well, which is <laughs> um, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Sir Camp. Sir Camp. Oh, camp icon. I mean, I am not the only person to have been obsessed with Michelle Pfeiffer. And you would think, you know, given that she's wearing like head to toe rubber, that she would be something that was an awakening for young straight men. But um but now I kind of just wanted to be Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman mm-hmm. in that I literally started trying to convince my friends and family that I was telepath- telepathic with cats. <laughs> like it went it went really far. I started making gloves with metal claws like she has in the film. Wait, wait, what did the cats say to you? <laughs> well, it, it was more like, it was at that time, so I think I would have been, when this film came out, like nine, I think. Yeah. Or maybe, no, hang on. Yeah, nine or ten years old. And um, and so it was more like I was just, used to have quite intense, like used to just stop and talk to cats and kind of be like, yeah, I know what that cat is feeling. <laughs> like, I attract cats. Cats come to me because I am a cat woman. <laughs> That's so extra. It really was, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know a queer person that doesn't probably have Michelle Pfeiffer on their list, and I think that's it's worth talking about just for that because she, she's so seminal, especially like to people maybe of our generation. Maybe maybe the kids don't know about Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, but um, it's sad. Oh my god, Anne Hathaway. Imagine they. <gasps> yeah, maybe that's all they have. Well, that explains a lot about the world doesn't it it sure does yeah yeah that's i think that really encapsulate well it, it, yeah maybe maybe they've got halle berry which i would say is a step above anna hathaway because it is the campus it is also very camp but yeah. it's just not good so i think you would rank them as pfeiffer berry hathaway and then obviously it's too early to tell with zoe kravitz although i have high mm-hmm. hopes high hopes for zoe kravitz of course and then of course that's just the modern era catwoman's we've also got eartha kit <gasps> oh I don't, I think we're not comparing like for like there, which is, no, we're not. you know, and I, and I wonder if that's, you know, when something has come from the mind of Tim Burton, I think no, no other Catwoman is going to be quite like Pfeiffer's Catwoman in that it's very dark and very strange as, as you would expect from, from Tim Burton. Um, but as well, I mean, there's a lot of sort of feminism to unpick with that character in that she's killed, mm-hmm. killed by a man, comes back to avenge him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a real like queer story too, because she reinvents herself um, like really explicitly. She's like, I'm going to become a different version of myself and it's going to be much more powerful and much more extreme. And um, it's going to be, earnest and unapologetic and um deadly and it's gonna yeah <gasps> deadly mm. and it's gonna be camp the sir camp i mean it's now now as an adult woman who transitioned 
five, six years ago. If I were making a costume to terrorize Gotham City, would it be a <laughs> would it be a latex catsuit that you can't take off to piss? No. W- would there be five inch heels? No. Um, no. It's, so a costume designed by a man for men. Um, but but still, I mean, it looks gorgeous. I mean, mm-hmm. she looked incredible. And it was Michelle Pfeiffer, her just absolute most extraordinary looking as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, sh- there's a great video on YouTube of her like learning how to crack the whip because she did all of those whip stunts herself, which is just a fact that I absolutely love. I have done a Catwoman act and I also learned to crack a whip so I could do it because I was like, well, if Michelle Pfeiffer can, so can I. Um, yeah, she's like, yes. So, OK, so talk me about the everything that's happening in your life around this time. So you're nine or 10. Um, where are you living? What's that like? So at the time I would have been living in a place called Bingley, West Yorkshire. It's near Bradford. It's a small Mm -hmm. industrial town. Um, it's, but a, but a suburb. Like I'm not going to say that I grew up in kind of like a mine shaft or something because it really wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't that. Um, Bingley kind of is famous. It has a thermal underwear factory that's very famous. <laughs> um, that's this big claim to fame. Um, but, wow. But you know, but by and large, I think I had a childhood like a lot of children in the UK, which is most children probably don't grow up in a big city like Manchester or London. Most kids, I guess, are growing up in suburbs in very ordinary semi-detached houses that you wouldn't think to draw a picture of, but um, that that's how I grew up. But um, I was very, very obsessed with American culture. Um, like, I didn't have a lot of time for sort of British art, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. So I grew up on a real diet of Beverly Hills 90210, Baywatch, um, Mm -hmm. Saved by the Bell. And that was kind of very much my jam. And and Hollywood films, I guess, was what I was consuming most of all. And I remember when, Mm -hmm. I think when Batman Returns came out at the cinema, I would have been too young to see it. I think it did have like a 12 rating. But I remember us watching it on VHS very early on. And... Yeah, just being obsessed. And I was obsessed for mm-hmm. years and years. Like, it was a big favourite for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Do you think at this point in your life that you had started to realise that you were in some way different? Yeah, I think... So I knew I knew I wanted to be a girl when I was four or five years old. Like, my earliest memories are of sort of, you know, picturing myself as a girl or asking my parents when I was going to turn into a girl or you know, when we played out on the street, I mean, an earlier, you know, queerness example I could have given you would have been Tila from He-Man or She-Ra or, mm. um, or um, Sheila from Dungeons and Dragons kind of. Mm. And, you know, so Daphne from Scooby-Doo. So when, when we played on the street, I was always a girl character and the kids on my street kind of just ac- accepted that. Kids tend to be very accepting of things like that. Cause I, you know, much, much later I became a teacher and primary age children don't care <laughs> whether whether you, you know, when, when somebody says, oh, I want to be Daphne from Scooby-Doo, everybody's just fine. Unless there's another girl yeah. on the street, in which case they're probably going to want to be Daphne as well. <laughs> but, um, but nobody wanted to be Velma. Poor old Velma. Uh, no, poor Velma. No one wanted to be Velma. <laughs> you know, actually, another thing that crops up a lot is Velma coming down the stairs in that dress in Scooby-Doo. That's oh, a, sexy in the, the sexy one, yeah, se- yeah, sexy Velma, sexy <laughs> Velma. That comes up a lot in people's career development. So you never know. Maybe Velma's had a renaissance. I, I like to think that. I like that ending for her. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's like by the time Batman Returns came around, I was well aware that if I had been given a choice, I would have chosen to be a girl. Um, and it was difficult because at the time around sort of 9, 10, 11 years old, that's when he definitely stopped being cool to say, oh, I'm going to be Catwoman. So I probably, strangely, I had almost regressed in some ways, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, I desperately wanted to be Catwoman, but by that stage I probably wouldn't have felt confident in saying, guys, I want to be Catwoman. Or, mm-hmm. in fact, just a woman. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, I mean, you learn 
pretty quickly from a very young age what things you need to kind of pack away, don't you? Mm. And um, that's that's a really nice insight about like the acceptance of smaller children because I guess our imaginations are just much more in control than anything else. Like we don't have any rules yet. We don't have society telling us anything yet. And it's just like free to go with it. Um, yeah. I remember every, every once in a while, one of the kids on the street would say, you're not allowed to be a girl. And then I would sulk until they caved in and just let me, which is <laughs> <laughs> true of my life. So. Yeah, well, that that's actually a really good uh, mantra, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> just sulk. Just sulk. And just have you get yeah. your own way. Stamp your feet. Yeah. yeah. Only took you a little bit of time. Just but a you, bit. I mean, you got there. Got there. Yeah. Um, well, I think that moves us on nicely to your next item, which is your album. Music. And um, I think you're going to have a lot to say about this, but um, you've put Spice by the Spice Girls. Yeah. I mean, it was a big, I mean, I like, I think like a lot of queer kids, you you search for the acceptable alternative so that you can in some way mark yourself out as different. Mm-hmm. And so for the early part of my teenage years, I was listening to Nirvana, um, Blur, Pulp, mm-hmm. Placebo. Mm-hmm. I adored Placebo and continued. I did. I continued to like all those bands as we went through the nineties as well. But when the Spice Girls came out, you know, given that I hadn't come out to anyone at that point. You know, it wasn't okay for me to say, oh, my God, I'm obsessed with the Spice Girls. So, you know, when Wannabe first came out in the summer of 96, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that shit, like, Zig Zagar, what does that even mean? You know, kind of, <laughs> and I pretended to be really down on it. But then by the time Say You'll Be There came around, I was just fully obsessed. Oh, my God, this is another example of women in a latex catsuit. That oh, we will, totally. We will get to examples that are not women in latex and um, i'm actually allergic to latex anyway so um oh, no. it's, it's such a doomed obsession um but i by the time say you'll be the camera and i knew i was just obsessed and you know i couldn't stop talking about the spice girls my bedroom was a shrine to the spice girls and so i was kind of forced to come out really because you know when someone who is not outwardly a girl like the Spice Girls that much it was just like well what the fuck is wrong with them you know something's gotta Mm -hmm. be like no straight boy would love the Spice Girls like this unless they were just you know using them to masturbate over or whatever so so yeah the Spice Girls and my obsession with the Spice Girls it slightly forced my hand that's crazy um that is like a deep level of fandom that you you chose you chose them over the closet. Oh, what, <laughs> worth it though. I mean, I love yeah, them. Totally. I love, love, love them. I thought they were so cool. And and it was sad when, when you know, there are times, you know, in, in life where people say, you know, that is not for you. You know, that, that mm-hmm. that's just for girls. That's just for boys. And we shouldn't be still, we still do that. We shouldn't be, but that does still happen. And it was one of those things where quite early on the Spice Girls, became more about being a pop act and they were like all about girl power and 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 I was like but I still want to be a part of that and and truth be told you know I wanted to be a Spice Girl you know I wanted to be Mm -hmm. part of their gang because they felt like such an amazing kind of gang to be a part of um and I was I remember when I first saw that interview with Adele where she talked about the Spice Girls and she was like, you know, there were just these five girls who got out and I don't know where I wanted to get out of, but I knew I wanted to get out. And I think mm-hmm. I, I was the same. I, I I just sort of, it was like, I wanted to be anywhere but there kind of. And mm-hmm. I saw that the Spice Girls had escaped and so could I. Was there a specific Spice Girl you were like dying over or was it the, the lot? Well, I mean, it changed. I had little like flavor of the week moments, but consistently it was always Victoria. Mm-hmm. And initially Jerry, but then around say you'll be there, 
there was something, because she was the quietest of the bunch, there was something quite mysterious about her that I quite liked. She was sitting on a seat. Just that she couldn't sing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was, there was a reason for her being quiet because yeah. she, she <laughs> couldn't really sing. But um, I found her, and I love in every girl group or every boy band, there's, there's one that doesn't really do an awful lot. And I'm a big fan of that one. Like later on, I was really obsessed with Nicola Roberts and Girls Aloud as well. Mm. Um, I think... I, it, I kind of relate to everything you said about the Spice Girls, but growing up in Canada, they basically had that one mega hit with Wannabe. And then I don't think like they kind of stuck around, but like the obsession never got to me in that way. And like I was more of a Madonna gay in that way. And I think I kind of I think I must have decided at some point that like Spice Girls were a little bit too pop or something. And I just didn't want to I wanted to like put it to one side but i remember my best friend's little sister listening to them in the car and me sneaking into the car to listen with her and be like so tell me all about them who are they what are like like (laughs) i desperately wanted to know but i was like no no i shouldn't be seen to be into this and it's like Um, i still think i still think there is something about pop music and the pop girls i think you know we haven't had an amazing, I mean, I have a lot of love for Little Mix, but on a global scale, I don't think there's been a group quite like the Spice Girls since the Spice Girls. And I think instead, people a bit younger than me latched onto Britney or mm-hmm. Lady Gaga in a way that I would have. I think if I'd been born 10 years later, I would have been obsessed with Britney Spears, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I couldn't tell you what it is about these girls that chimes with queer people but you know i think clearly there is something there's something there absolutely yeah <laughs> um how is your are, are you still a fan of the space Girls? yeah i always will be i mean <laughs> you know it was such a movement and you know i tried to explain this to people who were either 10 years younger than me or 10 years older than me and just completely missed the train. You know, you, you really did have to be in the bubble. And that's why I had so much endless sort of admiration for One Direction fans because mm. did, did I understand? No. But did I recognize the obsession? Yeah, because I'd had it, I'd had it 20 <laughs> years before kind of. So, what, yeah. you know, those girls screaming about One Direction, I totally got where they were coming from. I think it's also still quite cool to be a Victoria fan. Mm. Like, she's the one that I... And actually, Sporty. Um, oh, Mel C. So lovely. Yeah. She's the one you'd want yeah. to go for a drink with, I think. Absolutely. Both of them, I feel like... Like, I think it's quite cool to be a fan still yeah. of them. Like, they're, they're doing great things. I went to see the reunion last year in in the before yeah. times where we were allowed to go to concerts and have fun. And it was great. I mean, I was so sad Victoria didn't participate. That was mm. such a bummer. But I I, I have I don't know what's going on with Jerry Halliwell. She <laughs> she went one way, I went one way. That that's not the ginger spice I fell in love with in nineteen ninety six. But but what I love about there's something incredibly earnest about Melby and Emma and how they've never stopped being Spice Girls. Um, True. You know, they, at any given point, Emma and Melby are like, well, I hope we get back together. Like, I'm up, <laughs> I'm still a Spice Girl. I don't know what the other ones think, but, you know, I will always love being a Spice Girl. And I think, if I'm being honest, had I somehow been the sixth Spice Girl, I would have been with them. Just like, no, no, yes. we're still together, everyone. <laughs> we, we will do a new album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <Blessed>. <laughs> um well i love that um spice girl obsession that's great um let's move on to your next item which is uh your wild card wild card and you have put your high school coven who truly changed your life yeah i think so this this follows this is basically the sequel to the spice girls which is Mm -hmm. me outing because other to be honest, I think, and I, again, I know this from having been a teacher, queerness shines out of certain children. It's unavoidable. And it didn't matter how much I tried to keep my head down during school. I was targeted by people because 
you know, they, they could see it even if I couldn't. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, my school time wasn't very, very happy at all. And actually some of the people who were most cruel to me were the people who were supposed to be my friends. And then I hit 16, came out as a massive Spice Girl fan. And that kind of made me (laughs) even queerer because, you know, I really wasn't going to hide it. And like something else I could have put on the list would have been the craft. And there were three girls at my school who were those freaky, weird girls who everybody was mm-hmm. scared of. And everybody said, oh, they're witches, oh, they're lesbians, oh, they're freaks. And You're like, sign me up. <laughs> and I was like, sign me up. And I, again, I, at first I was like, I'm not sure I'm allowed to join their gang because they're kind of a girl gang. But what I didn't realize is that they were three incredibly cool women. Um, they're Phyllis, Carrie, and Beth. And I think I'm allowed to say their names because they're in the gender games and that's fine. So I'd known them for a long time, sort of from afar. They were kind of like friends of my friends. And then when we finished GCSEs and started A-levels when I was 16, um, we were all put in the same sort of tutorial group, for sociology A-level. And, you know, I was kind of like a lot of the school, I was kind of scared of them. But mm-hmm. then when Kerry also turned out to be an enormous Spice Girl fan. And we all liked the same horror films. I remember as, you know, going, pretending to be 18 and going to see Scream and Scream 2. And, and, you know, we just, all of a sudden, for the first time, I found my tribe. Like, Mm -hmm. I'd had little friends before, but these were true friends who really allowed me to be the most authentic version of myself. Like, I didn't have to pretend to be any kind of a boy around them, you know, I could just be as authentic as I wanted to be. And honestly, because the gag is I didn't even initially, I didn't even take A-level sociology. Um, I dropped out of chemistry because I realized it was just too hard. Um, So I joined sociology about two weeks in. And if I hadn't made that decision, I don't know where I would be because, you know, Mm -hmm. Kerry lives like 10 minutes in that direction. You know, we're still neighbors and best friends and, you know, quite a random thing there, you know, choosing to do sociology instead of chemistry completely moved my life into a different track. Yeah. Mm. I'm just nodding along because I just, I relate so hard to that story. I, um, I was really like ostracized as a teen until I got to high school and I just happened to sit next to this girl in history class who was reading a fantasy novel and I was like massively into fantasy novels and I just started talking to her about it and she's like still my best friend to this day and she was like my lifeline out of um because I wasn't particularly bullied but I was like I was shunned yeah and like finding those people at, at that age it's like it's suddenly you're given that permission to, I don't think in my case, it wasn't even necessarily like um, to be my authentic self, but like to start to explore who I might be and just be like, be free to like be weird or be funny or be stupid or any of those things. So um, yeah, those people are so, so important. I think I like to think it would have happened faster now if I was like a teenager today. I mean, I don't go into many schools now, where there isn't some sort of rainbow group or pride group. Mm-hmm. Or they always call it something. That's what I was going to ask. They always call it something different. But, um, you know, so I think now I would have probably in some way been out at school. I'm not sure what I would have been out as. Maybe non-binary, maybe trans, maybe gay. I'm not sure. But I don't think I would have been hiding in quite the same way. And also I would have probably found my tribe. I'd like to think I would have found my tribe a bit faster. But, yeah. you know, there was something you know, up until that point. And I think actually this is why, you know, queer people are very into kind of like their fantasy and stuff. Because when everybody, when a lot of my straight and cis friends were kind of starting to go out and starting to make out with each other or drink in the park, I was at home watching Doctor Who and X-Files. You know, I was was in my bedroom because I didn't want to go out with those people because they treated me like shit. So, So, you know, when I found... Kerry, Phyllis, and Beth, all of a sudden, I this social life came to me as well, you know, mm-hmm. and um, we started going out and, you know, I started experiencing bits of queer culture in Leeds as well. My first club was called The Cockpit, which is an amazing name for a club that happens to host <laughs> queer nights. But, you know, all, all of a sudden I started to live, you know, it was like, yeah. it's like life had arrived. I think that's also maybe part of the reason why 
a lot of queer people are kind of later bloomers than straight people because it takes us a little bit longer to find our people and and we've also got like the the denial element perhaps so we're like kind of putting things aside delaying 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 and then yeah so I always felt like I was really behind my peers because you know I wasn't into drinking I wasn't going out I you know wasn't sexually active any of that stuff until like my later teens so yeah it's and I think you can really easily beat yourself up for that too you think like there's something wrong with you but actually it just just takes a little bit longer sometimes yeah I think I like now I think it's again it's different now I think Mm. you know when I speak to these incredibly clued up 16 year olds who are like babe I know what grinder is and I'm like oh god I wish you didn't (laughs) for your sake I wish you didn't but yeah yeah Uh, do you still see like those groups of weirdos as well in schools I mean, you still go into schools, don't you? Well, in the before times, yep. I would, t- I would tour my books, um, and yeah, there's still, and they all come and see me at the end, and they're always very proud to present the non-binary kid. So I was like, "This is Rowan," and they're non-binary, and you're like, "Hi, Rowan!" And there's always, <laughs> there's always like, there's one in every school, and it's really sweet. And very often, um, like I'm led to the library by the librarian, mm-hmm. and they say, "Right, we want you to come and have lunch with our pride group." And so I feel very, very privileged that. Um, I'm sort of invited into the fold, even if it's just for one day. But also still, my mind is blown. Like, when I was at school in the UK, it was Section 28 time. Mm-hmm. So my teachers couldn't even help us. My teachers weren't even allowed to talk about LGBT stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. I, uh, I've i had the same experience just this year because of DragCon, which was in January. And all of these kids, like some really young queuing up, like um, wearing wigs and they're with their dads and like being like just celebrating like gender exploration in this way that I, I could not have conceived of as a child. Um, And I had really liberal parents, like full hippies, but like, I just, the, the idea that there's now dads taking their like sons and daughters and like encouraging them to play with gender and like meet drag queens is just absolutely bewildering um, and wonderful. And tra- yeah. I mean, and drag race has changed the world. I mean, I know it has its detractors, but it has put drag on a world platform like nothing else. And I know we could mm-hmm. talk about the origins of drag and Paris is burning and all these things, but drag race is on Netflix. There's like 19 seasons of it on Netflix and you know, it's it's there and it's it's there for mm-hmm. kids. And as well, I think, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, it's given it a kind of cool as well, like that reference back to, you know, so now if there is a kid at school doing drag, it's cool, like on Drag Race, not like, mm-hmm. uh, that's gay, like mm-hmm. being gay, kind of, mm-hmm. which is kind of what I would have had at school. So, yeah. Oh, it does make I love I love thinking about things like that because it does actually make me hopeful, which is a rare thing in these days. <laughs> um, right, we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back with more of the things that made Juno Dawson queer. Miss Quarantina Turner got you feeling down. Never fear divas because the Wow Podcast Network is here. Coming this year are brand new episodes of your fave pods, such as mine, Girl Group Gossip, starring me, Cheryl Hole. Hi, Cheryl. How's your hole? Hole is worn out. How are you? <laughs> to the triumphant return of the official RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. Or as we like to call it, she's already the And not to mention bringing mm, tap dancing in. That was this close to being the name of this show. <laughs> and with brand new podcasts from RuPaul's Drag Race UK, Crystal, and Season 12's Jackie Cox, the WOW Podcast Network will be the one-stop shop for all your drag-related podcast adventures. So for more deets, go to worldofwonder.com forward slash podcast. Moose! We're back with Juno Dawson and the things that made them queer. Nice. I guess we're moving ahead a few years. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Dynamite Boogaloo in Brighton. Yeah, which wasn't my first 
like experience of queer clubbing. Like I said, the cockpit in Leeds, doing they used to do pop stars Leeds. That was amazing. Um, then I used to go. I went to university in Wales, so it wasn't the wildest place to study. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I went out every week and had an absolute blast and got drunk for three years. Great. But Dynamite Boogaloo. I think I was introduced to it. So by now, Kerry, who we met in my high school coven, um, she had moved down to Brighton. And while I was in Wales, sometimes I would go visit Kerry in Brighton. And I was ready by that point to move somewhere that had a much bigger sort of queer scene, like growing up in the suburbs and then studying in Wales. I was ready for it. And I was, when I left for university, I was really immature. I think had I gone to London or Manchester when I was 18, I think I would have been swallowed whole. And I don't, I think I just wasn't ready for that kind of exposure to sex and drugs and the darker side of kind of any sort of queer culture. So by the time I moved to Brighton, I would have been 21. I was a little bit more mature and I was kind of ready for it. And when I used to go visit Kerry, she was like, right, we're going to go to this amazing club night called Dynamite Boogaloo. And it was already a really long running kind of student favorite. It was weekly on Thursday nights. It was like a pop cabaret spectacular run by kind of like a drag queen sort of called Boogaloo Stew, who is one of those kind of London faces. He ran Shinky Shonky for years as well. And um, and his counterpart, Dolly Rocket, who is a cisgender woman who is a drag queen. Amazing. Uh, um, amazing. And I mean, and this was 25 years ago. So I love this idea that, that the idea that cisgender women getting into drag is a new thing. Dolly Rocket's yeah, been doing no, no, it for no. years yeah. and years. Yeah. And we would go along and we would dance to, you know, and it was sort of, early noughties so it was like that Justin Timberlake album and Beyonce's first solo stuff and Girls Loud and Sugar Babes and it was just the best and I had really arrived in adulthood like I was Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong I was broke a lot of the time but I had reached financial (laughs) independence I wasn't relying on my parents anymore you know I could you know I didn't have to study um And as well, it was the first time being in a considerable sort of queer community. So, I mean, if I'm honest, it was really the first time that I was meeting guys, you know, at the Mm -hmm. time, at the time I still hadn't transitioned. I was still a few years away from transition and, you know, it was happy times and like um, Dynamite Boogaloo. You know, they still do one a year for Brighton Festival, which is such an amazing reunion to go back even now. So nearly 20 years since I started going and you see a lot of the same faces. And so you're like, hello, we made out in 2003 <laughs> and now you're married and have three children and I'm a woman. Kind of, so it's, um, and it's kind of... Oh, it's, we were meant to, strangely, we were meant to have my hen do at Dynamite Boogaloo this May. So I would have, wow. I would have had my hen do on the 29th of May. And again, had COVID not happened, I would have got married on June the 6th. Wow. Uh, were, were they going to reform it for you? Uh, alas, no. I mean, it was just very, <laughs> very, very good timing. But good, because good timing. it's so funny, when I first moved down, I was like, I was so in awe of Dynamite Sal, who is the DJ. So there was Stu, Mm -hmm. Sal and Dolly. And I was so obsessed with Sal. She was so cool. And like, she just used to stand behind the decks and never smiled. Like proper, (laughs) like that kind of like cool DJ. And I remember saying to Kerry at the time, oh my God, I want to be friends with Dynamite Sal. Like, how can I become friends with Dynamite Sal? And sure enough. I became friends with Sal. So I'm sure, I'm sure there would have been, I'm sure they would have made a lovely fuss of me, but um, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed (laughs) next year. Yeah. Um, I love this. I love the sound of that night though. And like, um, was it like gay or was it queer? If you know what I mean? Very, very mixed, which is one of the things I liked about it because as someone who had always struggled with my gender identity, going into male-only spaces Mm. really used to weird me out. And Mm. I've been to XXL and, you know, I I have seen that side of gay clubbing and I felt so out of place. It's full All-Stars 2, Adore Delana. I don't belong here. You know, truly, (laughs) truly, I did not belong there. And, um, And so, yeah, I... You know, I love Dynamite Boogaloo's mixedness in that it really was. And so it's kind of like the utopia of queer clubbing in that it was gay men, lesbians, 
trans people and also cisgender allies. Great. Gorgeous. I mean, that's kind of Brighton, isn't it? So kind of a microcosm of Brighton. Yeah, I think Brighton hasn't really ever gone in for... Because it's not big enough. Like, Brighton's really little. So we never really had men-only venues or girl-only venues. It was always a very much a a mixed bag. I can really imagine how much Brighton would be, like, the place to live when you're in your early 20s and, like, carefree. It was it was so much fun. I mean, I remember when, when the club was winding down, and it's interesting, Sal always looks to the smoking ban. She said they never really, they couldn't really make it work. Like it was meant to be a dingy, smoky basement, and it kind of didn't yeah. really, it just didn't really <laughs> land anymore. And so they wound it down. I think it celebrated its 15th anniversary and then wound down. But I, I, I think two years ago, they had their 25th anniversary and they had a big silver anniversary, kind of. Wow. But 15 years of a fur club night is incredible. It's unheard of, yeah. Yeah, that is longevity. Um, how are you feeling like in yourself at this time in your life? Like, you're feeling, I, I mean, I, actually, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. You tell me. Well, just in, in general or regarding? Yeah, like in your, in your queerness. Good. I mean, now, I mean, you know, my life is very, very different to how it was in 2003. And, and that is because, you know, when, when I first transitioned, I first came out to my friends in 2013 and then started having therapy and speaking to some people, speaking to lots of other trans people for advice. And then I came out publicly in 2015, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, then my life changed. My life changed a lot. You know, kind of for one thing, when you, if you, there's, there's no, you know, trans, not all trans people want to go down the medical route, but I did. And I basically had hormone replacement therapy which completely changes your whole mindset. You know, mm-hmm. the first half of my life was testosterone filled. And whereas mm-hmm. and now, now I don't really do testosterone. So, um, you know, and that really changes your whole perspective. So my life feels much quieter now in some regards. But, and when you were in Brighton at this time, um, yeah, did you, I don't know. Do you look back at those years of like with with kindness to yourself or do you see yourself as confused or in denial? Like how, how do you think? It's a, it's a difficult one. I mean, I always wish I'd transitioned younger, you know, it, you know, my life has been better every single day since I came out, you know, yeah. however, I had a blast in my twenties. Yeah. I was having so much fun. So while a part of me wishes like shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know, I wish I had come out sooner. At the same time, if if I had, would I have been that carefree? Would I have mm. been snogging boys at 4am on Brighton Beach? I don't know, mm. because I mm-hmm. might have, you know, my life has really settled down post-transition in that, you know, I've got my house, I've got my dog, I've got my career, I've got my fiancé. Things are very, very different now. And so I'm not going to regret my 20s. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that moves us maybe on quite nicely to the last item on your list. Person. You've put Ayla Holdem. Am I saying that correctly? And Isla. 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 Yes. Isla Holdem. Isla Holdem. Yeah. I mean, I was going to come up with like a funny one, like in like the first teacher (laughs) I had a crush on or something, which don't get me wrong. That was quite compelling at the time. um, (laughs) Sure. Isla was really, and I've said this so many times, Isla must properly think I'm a stalker. She must think I'm so creepy. (laughs) And I got to know Isla through my work at Attitude magazine um, when I I had a column Attitude for a long time. And I found out they were giving a Attitude Pride Award to this woman, Isla Holden, who was a helicopter pilot. And she had worked for a long time with Prince William. And she had been very publicly outed by the Sun newspaper because she worked with Prince William and it was really horrible and unnecessary. Um, and I met her because they were, they were giving her this award and she brought her mum to the award ceremony as her plus one kind of. And, and it was so cool to see an out trans woman who had kind of, A, wasn't a celebrity because a lot of the trans people that I was speaking to were sort of, 
people working in the media Mm -hmm. and we do have slightly ridiculous lives. I can't lie. Our lives are not standard. Like we have, we're all eager maniacs and we're all very insecure because our jobs are very insecure. Whereas just meeting somebody who had like a normal job and a normal Mm. family, a normal wife, um, and the fact that she brought her mum, and so I could see that she still had this relationship with her mum as well. And by that point, I'd been having therapy for about a year and a half, and I kept on being like, stop, start, stop, start. Ooh, do I want to do this? It's going to really change my life. And, oh, gosh, what if my parents aren't cool? And and when I saw Isla that night, it really was one of those, just what are you waiting for? Like Jennifer Love Hewitt, I know what you did last summer. What are you waiting for? And <laughs> and that was it. Like literally the next day after I met Isla, I booked myself a GP appointment to initiate the wait list to start my hormone treatment. That's incredible. That's it's incredible that you've got such like a specific moment mm. like that. I mean, because um, I've been off and on and off and on, and I'd had I'd had a lot of therapy by that by that point, which is a huge privilege because I was able to pay mm-hmm. for it. Um, but I think Isla was what I needed to just tip me over the edge, just get on with it. Like there is a life out there for you, you know, mm-hmm. and you, nobody's asking you to be Laverne Cox, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like look, look at this normal woman living her normal life and you could have that life as well. Have you spoken to her about that? Yes. She, she's well aware. Yeah. And, and yeah. Isla is, Isla is one of the most, pure and good people I've ever met. And I'm, I'm very, very pleased to know her. Um, I'm sure that you are Isla for lots of other people. How does that feel? I don't mind as long as I'm allowed to be flawed and, and mess up, mess up. I mean, I kind of, I have, you know, multiple times said stupid things and done stupid things. And, you know, as as you can read about in the gender games, you know, there, there were times where I put myself in risky situations and didn't look after my health. And, you know, I, I've made a mess, but as long as I'm, you know, as long as I'm allowed to not be perfect, I'm, I'm happy to kind of be visible for other trans people. Yeah, I guess it's like, it's always a danger to make anyone's experience like the monolith for a whole community, but also to expect any one person to be able to be the the perfect example of any kind of queerness or any community really. Um, but I'm sure that people will point to you and I'm sure have, have you had someone come up to you and say, you're the reason that I've transitioned or that like you pushed, you pushed me over the edge. I have once. Yeah. Well, just one, one time. Um, and a lot of lot of these people who've read the gender games. So it's, it's perhaps mm. more the book than it is me. But, you know, when, when I do Stonewall stuff, um, you know, again, in the before times, I would visit schools with my Stonewall t-shirt on. And the, the point of Stonewall role models is to just be a visible success. Like, yeah. you know, all kinds of LGBTQ people who have gone on to excel in their chosen field because of and regardless of the fact that they are trans or lesbian or gay or bi. So, you know, I'm, you know, I'm one of the best-selling YA authors in the UK. And mm-hmm. I'm trans. And I think that's a, mm-hmm. that's a message in and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I kind of asked you this before, but um, how does that feel to, like, have to talk about your trans identity alongside your work? Or is it, do you ever wish that, like, you could kind of separate it out and you didn't have, didn't have to come back to that? Or how often does it come back to that? Maybe it doesn't. Less than it used to. I mean, there was a point where I kind of said enough is enough. Like when people used to talk about my career, they would say trans author Juno Dawson. And I was like, hmm. I don't don't know if... Just an author. I don't don't know if that's relevant anymore. And certainly when, you know, certainly if it was nothing to do, you know, there have been times where um, I've volunteered an opinion or um, been happy to talk about, um, queer things like like this, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Mm-hmm. This is a fun way of talking about my life. I've got hiccups really bad. Um, I'm so sorry <laughs> if you can hear this. It must be so disgusting. Um, but yeah, I mean, what what I do now is I'm much more boundaryed. And if, yeah. if people are like, oh, do you want to come on Good Morning Britain to talk about, you know, trans prisoners? I'm like, no, 
I've never been, yes. I've never been a trans prisoner. You know, you need to talk yeah. to someone in the prison system. You know, you need mm-hmm. to talk about campaigners. You know, I'm not the right person to speak to. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm very privileged that I'm in a position where I can pick and choose. Um, but certainly going forward, I just want to talk about my work, you know. And, of course. Um, you know, I've, I've done some really cool things in the last few years and, and it, the, to be honest, not really anymore because I'm trans, you know, it's more that, you know, my biggest selling novel is a novel called Clean. There is a trans character in it, but the main character is not trans. And, you know, that book sold thousands and thousands of copies and it wasn't to trans people. You know, my work is connecting with cisgender readers, regardless of the fact I'm trans. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. That's like, that's kind of the pinnacle. It, I'm not saying you've peaked, but like, that's like, that's the aspiration, isn't it? To be able to just like inhabit your identity comfortably and just then just get on with it. Yeah. But without, without pulling up the ladder behind me as well. And that's why, that's why, that's why I'm still happy to talk about trans things because um, as is the way with representation, we just need more. Like Mm -hmm. I don't really know many other trans people in the UK who are having the opportunities that I'm having. And so it's about, well, how can I create space for those people? You know, am I recommending other trans people's work? Am I highlighting the work of people like Sean Fay, Charlie Craggs, Rhiannon Styles, Kachenga, you know, and, and sort of trying to make sure that, that there's room, there's room for all of us, you know, and kind of that we, mm-hmm. we need to be hearing from lots and lots of different trans people and trans men as well. We, we don't hear nearly enough from trans men. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I saw yesterday, um, uh, some awful guardian columnist, which I won't name, but they said, Oh, it's such a shame that the guardian is forcing out a journalist and, because they have a different opinion to everyone else. And if trans people really want to disagree so badly, they should just write a, write a column about it. And there <laughs> yeah. are no trans columnists no, they, all, the they all had to leave. Like three of them yeah. stepped down because the, the culture at The Guardian was so toxic that and no, I didn't see any of those columnists mourning the loss of the trans voices when they left The Guardian. And exactly. So that, that, I'm afraid that is the trans folk jumping out. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's exactly what you say. We just need to hear. We need more voices, more stories, and um, to stop assuming that <laughs> one trans voice is kind of speaking for the the group because it's obviously not. No, and, no one would think that about any other group in society. No, I mean, and that's it's dangerous because the media can be quite lazy. So once it yes. ha- once it has one trans person, one gay person, one black person, one Jewish person, they will just they will go to that person every single time, and so actually it falls the responsibility then falls to you to say, well, actually no, I don't think no, that's and you know I know this is this is true of a lot of these kind of talking heads that they wheel out, and I see you know and you know trans people aren't a monolith, and there are trans people that I really disagree with like their politics and their policies mm-hmm. and their their statements. And, you, you know, there are certain trans people that when they pop up on television, I'm like, oh, God, here we go, kind of. <laughs> oh, no. And that's, you know, that's fine. You know, we're not, we're not all one person. I mean, that's community. Yeah. Warts and all. Thank you so much. I loved your, I loved your list and I loved talking about all of those things. So thank you for sharing it all. Me too. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Great. Before you go, do you want to play a quick little game of But Is It Queer with me? Yeah. Is it queer? Okay, so I'm going to give you some things and, and we just have to decide whether or not they're queer. Okay. Um, first up, maybe this is an easy one. Uh, patriotism. Oh, not queer. Not no. Queer. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No, I don't think there's anything queer about borders. The establishment. Just the establishment yeah. is not queer. At all, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I hate patriotism so much, and I'm I'm really trying to make other people understand. Um, thank you, patriotism, not queer, definitively. Um, Facetune, so queer, so, <laughs> so queer. queer. <laughs> Just put that put that filter of your face. I don't want to see reality. I don't want to hear reality. Yeah. Um, just make yourself look like a mandala paw, and you'll be happier. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, if you think, like, sometimes I, sometimes I forget what I look like, and I'm fine with that. 
rather I'm happy to look like how I think I look. Well, it's good unless you're going to apply for RuPaul's Drag Race because there is no yeah. face tune on the main stage. That is very so, true. So that true. Is very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, they have pretty good lighting. It does cover a lot of sins. Is it true um, they refrigerate? Is, is it true <laughs> that they refrigerate the studio as well so that your makeup doesn't melt? Um, the Canadian set that I was on was so cold, but that's because it was in like a bunker in northern Ontario in December. Our studio was way too hot. Oh, okay. Um, it was evil. Like melted tubes of lipstick hot. <gasps> Oh no! They need yeah. to no, They need to do something about that. That won't do. Yeah. No. No, it won't. Um, but Rue is very kind. Always, always demanding the AC on. Get these girls some AC. Get them a stool. So um, she gets it. But Facetune, Facetune queer. Queer. Uh, um, bottled water. Oh, queer. Heather's Heather's made it queer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. I didn't actually think of that. I was thinking bottled water, like. I think it was queer in the, I was going to say the Sex in the City days when like, I feel like Evian was having its moment. Um, but now I feel like maybe it's all about refillable bottles yes. and maybe that's yeah, more queer. Maybe they're less queer though, because I think he, now there's a real kind of, you know how like gender just ruins everything. And so now there's <laughs> yeah. this, this real disparity between your like beautiful kind of Oliver bonus pastel mint green water canister and then men have like these thumpingly masculine metal ones with like spikes so and razor blades coming out kind of so it's just become, look, how ma- look i'm just gonna show you look how masked that mine is, is. A very mask water bottle. <laughs> so now, i need to get a queer one so water bottles are just one more thing now that are really binary oh that's so depressing i hadn't I hadn't thought. I was just. I just like things that are black and metal. <laughs> God, I'm just. I'm just like straight chasing. <laughs> um, okay, last one. Okay, uh, having no battery on your phone. No, that's that's really homophobic. That's <laughs> that's, that's a hate crime. No, and it is. It's, it always sneaks up on you. Like yesterday, I. I think this could be because um, I had to go into London for a work thing yesterday. And so I, obviously I haven't really left the house in the best part of six months. And all of, so I, I guess I was using my phone more than I normally would. By three o'clock, my phone was on 10%. And I was like, how? Like, I've not had to charge my phone ever, like in the whole of lockdown. And I, it just reminded me, oh, yes, this is what life was like. Like, yeah. you, you do that thing, which is like you go into like a bakery and like, hi, can I just charge my phone? Oh, God, the worst. Yeah. I think I, it is very homophobic, but I think it's also very queer. And lots of queer people I know are very homophobic. So that doesn't, I don't think that they're, they're exclusive terms. Um, it, I mean, Instagram, Grinder, all the apps. Um, just charging Very the phone down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's, I think that's it. We've definitively decided those things are, are, or are not queer. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know, before you go, um, where can people find you? What can they do to support you? And what would you like, anything you'd like to plug? Um, I'm at Juno Dawson on Twitter and Facebook. Um, my next book out will be What's the Tea, which will be next February, which is my follow-up to This Book is Gay, which is a handbook for young trans and non-binary people, which I hope is going to be a big help. Great. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Juno. But before I go, I just want to pass on some of the things that you said made you queer. Marilyn Missendry says Audrey Horn from Twin Peaks tying the cherry stem in a knot with her tongue. Oh yeah, that is still hot all these year, years later and I still can't do it. Um, Shauna says the Hex Girls from Scooby-Doo. Uh, totally agree, drag icons. Perla says Legolas in Lord of the Rings. Uh, yes, Oops. so pretty, <laughs> that hair. And Rachel says SJP's boobs in Hocus Pocus. Uh, Hocus Pocus was definitely one of mine too, but I think it was Thackeray Binks. And my drag sister, Grace Shush, says Adam Rickett. Uh, I'm presuming in the Breathe Again video. I remember seeing that when I was like 14 or 15, and I had no idea who he was because I was in Canada, but I was just so into it. 
like 100% pure twink bait. Well, that is it. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with more of the things that made me queer. If you liked the podcast, please tell your friends, share, and subscribe. And uh, if you didn't, well, just keep your filthy little mouth shut. I've been Crystal. Until next time, stay sparkly, transparent, and cheap. Oh, uh, and queer. I would love to hear some of the things that made you queer, so please tweet me with some, and I'll read them out on a future episode. Our theme song is Something Like Summer, graciously provided by Caveboy. The Things That Made Me Queer is a World of Wonder production. (laughs) 